must never let the weight of this combination endanger our liberties or democratic process. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. I have a dream. Welcome to Great Men Back Then. Here's your host, Lauren Scott. You are listening to Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. And welcome to Great Men Back Then, where we talk about, you guessed it, great men. Specifically, great men from American history. Now, I know you may be thinking right now, how could it be possible that a college student could possibly judge the character of some of the men in our history and call them great? especially when many of them had tremendous faults and made loads of mistakes. I mean, for crying out loud, more than half of the Founding Fathers owned slaves. My response to that would be this. Yes, many of our men in history were flawed and made choices that were most definitely not commendable. But I am here to give you the facts. If we take a closer look into the lives of these men, we can better understand where they're coming from. A lot of people will focus on have lived through more tragedy and more grief than most people in the 21st century will ever know or understand. Wars, adultery, child loss, and illness all play into the effect of how a person lives their life and makes decisions. For greatness is not about the number of mistakes one makes, but the number of times one overcomes those mistakes and perseveres through hardships. If you listened to my previous episode, you know that I will be focusing on men from the world wars for the next few months. Last week, I highlighted John Pershing, a U.S. Army general who commanded the American Expeditionary Forces in Europe during World War I. Today, I will be highlighting not just one man, but rather a group of men. To properly introduce this group of men who fought in World War I, I would like to play part of an audio of an episode from the History Channel. The Harlem Hellfighters was a regiment of New York National Guardsmen in the First World War. They were set up to fail by their own government. They were humiliated, degraded, uh, eventually given to the French army as a throwaway. And they ended up coming home as one of the most decorated units in the entire U.S. Army. The Harlem Hellfighters are one of the most important regiments in American history. In World War I, they helped to establish to the entire world the power of black soldiers in the military. It was very difficult at that time for African Americans to get into the United States military because there was this perception that African Americans would not do well in battle. They had to overcome the prejudice of their own countrymen and yet also perform ably on the battlefield. Like so many units of African American descent, when they go overseas, they're not sure what they're going to do. Are they going to fight as infantry? Or are they going to be stevedores and load ships? Or are they going to be labor units and cut wood? And so they're committed to labor duty, they're unloading ships, building latrines, those type of support services. And as you can imagine, these men have been trained and they're willing to fight, they're ready to fight, and this is stressful for them. 
they were finally given to the French army, which in a way was an even greater insult because in the First World War, when the United States entered, General Pershing, the commanding officer, was very clear that American forces would not be fed piecemeal into the French and British army because the French and British wanted reinforcements and Pershing said, absolutely not. When Americans join this war, they will fight as an American force under an American flag led by an American general dot, 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 except for the black guys. You can have them. Henry Johnson is perhaps one of the most remarkable black military heroes in U.S. history. And he found himself in no man's land with Private Needham Roberts manning a listening post. And Needham Roberts hears, click, click, click. And he realizes somebody's cutting the wire. It's potentially a German raid. And so Roberts is passing him grenades, and they line up these grenades. And the Germans actually do come across the lines. Roberts is hurt, and now Henry Johnson is left to defend their position and to stave off this attack. And then he makes the mistake of jamming a French cartridge into his American gun, and it no longer will work. And the Germans are on top of it. He then used his rifle like a club, and then he ended up fighting with a knife against the Kaiser's best and turned them. He's wounded in the fray. He's struck, for example, in the foot um, and has a debilitating injury as a result. And he fights them off, he says, for what seemed like an hour. The Germans ran shrieking into the night, all because of one man. It's not until the next morning that people realize what a tremendous act this was. They discover four bodies of dead German soldiers. And they also realize from the equipment and other things that are left behind that as many as 30 may have been involved in this altercation. As soon as he drove off those Germans, the French awarded him with the Croix de Guerre, a great honor. Unfortunately, it took about 75 years for the US government to give him the Legion of Merit. Had he been white, he would have walked out of that war with the Medal of Honor. What was so shocking to me when I began to research the story of the Hellfighters was that after they had performed so magnificently in combat, the United States government actually sent a memorandum to the French government, essentially implementing Jim Crow essentially saying, don't give them some notion that they are equals because we don't want them taking that notion back to the United States and demanding equality. When he come back to the United States, he's not awarded the Purple Heart. There's no notation in his military record of his injury. And so he winds up not being able to work because of this injury. He doesn't get any kind of assistance from the, from the army or from the government as a result. And he ends up dying in 1929 penniless. So it again shows the paradox. Here's this great story of valor and of courage on the part of the soldier. And ultimately, he comes back to a nation that doesn't honor that sacrifice. We tend to think we all know American history so well that the story of the Harlem Hellfighters should be one of the first stories told. It wasn't about killing other people. It was about being Americans and serving their country well. That was the inclination of the Harlem Hellfighters. When you are African-American in 1917, democracy is armor. Democracy is a weapon. 
And to fight for a war to make the world safe for democracy was something more than just some ethereal crusade for the Hellfighters. It had concrete results. They were fighting for the rights to be a citizen of the country that they were born in. In case you have not guessed it by now, today we are talking about the Harlem Hellfighters. It is because I believe the Harlem Hellfighters fought with dignity and honor that I am featuring them on my show, Great Men, back then, on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM with your host, Lauren Scott. In today's episode, of course, I will talk about the Harlem Hellfighters as a group in general, but I also, I want to highlight particular men who were part of this group. I tend to find that history becomes more real to me when I can envision real human beings and the lives that they lived outside of what they're most well known for. First, we will examine the life of Arthur P. Davis, a member of the Hellfighters, but most importantly, a man who fought for freedom. To say that Davis was a hard-working man would be quite an understatement. During his life, he not only fought for his country, but he made accomplishments in the education world despite the discouragement he faced along the way. Davis wore many hats, some of which included him being a teacher, editor, and a scholar, on top of being a father and husband. He fought with the Harlem Hellfighters before he even earned his high school degree. Later in his life, when asked why he joined, he said, quote, You had to belong to the 15th Infantry or jealously look at them in uniform. Everybody loves a soldier. So, to be somebody, I joined up. End quote. A few years after fighting in the war, he graduated from high school and started attending Howard University before transferring to Columbia University. He graduated in 1927 and received a degree in philosophy. Davis decided that he wanted to continue his education and started to pursue a master's degree in English at Columbia University. Fast forward to 1942, and Davis has become the first black man to receive a Ph.D. in English from Columbia University. He later became a full-time professor in the English department at Howard University. Davis died in 1996 at the age of 91. He is remembered for his great contributions in the world of English and education, but most importantly, he is remembered for his bravery as a young man to fight for a country that did not see him worthy to sit beside a white man on a bus. For this reason alone, I argue that Arthur Davis was a great man. I will now be reading an excerpt from the Smithsonian Magazine. Private Henry Johnson of Albany, New York, held tight his French label rifle and stared into the darkness of no man's land, listening for German raiders. Beyond the parapet, he can make out shapes and shadows under the waning moon. Johnson was a 25-year-old railroad baggage porter 
the son of North Carolina tobacco farmers. Under French command, he manned the front line of the Great War about 115 miles east of Paris on the early morning of May 15, 1918. He heard a sound and turned to his partner and their teeny observation post, Needham Roberts, who gestured toward the direction of the noise. They heard it again, the snip of barbed wire being cut. Johnson fired an illumination rocket into the sky, then ducked as German grenades flew toward him. The grenades exploded behind him, and Payne struck his left leg and side. Roberts, bleeding from his head, threw grenades of his own back over the parapet. The German forces rushed into the Americans' dugout. Johnson shot one German in the chest, point blank, then swung his rifle to club another. Two enemy soldiers tried to haul Roberts away until Johnson drove his nine-inch knife into one of their skulls. Another German shot Johnson in the shoulder and thigh. Johnson lunged with his knife and slashed him down. The enemy soldiers ran. Johnson chucked grenades as they fled. Reviewing the carnage the next day, a U.S. Army captain estimated that Johnson had killed four of at least 24 German soldiers. Days later, Johnson and Roberts became the first Americans to receive the French Croix de Guerre, the first of many honors awarded to the 369th Infantry Regiment, better known as the Harlem Hellfighters. Again, those were the words of Eric Tricky, an author at the Smithsonian Magazine, but I believe these words are a perfect representation of who the Harlem Hellfighters were and the bravery that they showed throughout World War I. The author was talking about the next man that I want to highlight, Henry Johnson. Johnson returned home from the Great War with 21 wounds, yet received no recognition. There was a mistake on his discharge records that makes no mention of his many wounds he received while fighting in battle. Because of this, he was denied not only a Purple Heart, but a disability allowance as well. I would like to take a minute and talk about this for a little bit. Very few people enter war because they want glory from it. I would say the majority of people who choose to serve their country do it out of patriotism and not for self-glory. Now, despite this being the case for why most people want to serve, it's still a nice thing to receive honor and recognition, especially if you've been wounded to the point where you're eligible to receive a Purple Heart. It absolutely blows my mind that Johnson was not given the recognition that he deserves. And it saddens my heart to know that after he selflessly served our country, he received nothing in return. After the war, he was wounded, uneducated, and lost. He did the best he could, but it was very difficult for him to keep a job due to his injuries, which included a shattered foot that was held together by a metal plate. When his son was old enough to form an opinion of his own, 
he said that the way his father was treated was no surprise to him. Jim Crow laws paved the way for blacks to be treated with little to no respect, even if they were willing to sacrifice their lives for the same country. After a year of trying to make a life after being set up for failure, alcoholism took over the life of Johnson. This caused his wife to leave him, taking their three children with her. Johnson died in 1929 at the age of 32. It was everyone's understanding that he had been buried in a pauper's field in Albany, and after he died, he was quickly forgotten. However, in the year of 2001, over 70 years after the death of Johnson, the discovery of Johnson's burial was made apparent, but it was not in Albany. As it turns out, Johnson had been buried at National Arlington Cemetery with military honors. There is no doubt that this honor was well-deserved. The next man I want to highlight is James Reese Europe. He was an American composer and band leader, and he also led the Harlem Hellfighters Infantry Band. Europe was one of the first African Americans to record music in the United States. He founded one of the most well-known African American organizations at that time called the Clef Club. He was the conductor of its symphony orchestra. It is because I believe the Harlem Hellfighters fought with dignity and honor that I am featuring them on my show, Great Men, back then, on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM with your host, Lauren Scott. The Clef Club was so successful that they were invited to play at Carnegie Hall multiple times. They gained a certain respect amongst the high-class citizens in New York, London, France, as well as traveling yachts. When Europe joined the Harlem Hellfighters, he was originally just supposed to serve as a lieutenant. However, when his commanding officer found out about his musical talent, he recruited him to form a military band as part of his combat. It was a little bit difficult to convince musicians to join the Harlem Hellfighters just to play in a band, but nonetheless, Europe was successful in this. It did not take long for his regiment to gain a reputation for having the best sounding band out of everybody else. Europe has a sad end to his story. On May 9th, 1919, Europe had a performance, and afterwards he criticized two of his performers for their bad behavior on stage. One of the performers lost his temper because he felt underappreciated, so he lunged at Europe and stabbed him in the neck with a penknife. The wound would at first appear to be superficial, and he told the rest of the band that he would be okay and see them tomorrow. However, when he arrived at the hospital, they could not stop the bleeding, and Europe ended up dying that night. He is remembered for his talent and his bravery. The Harlem Hellfighters not only faced the horrors of war, 
but they also face the tragedy of racism and segregation even in the war. All these men wanted was to be treated equally. They wanted to return home to their families and enjoy their lives as free American citizens. One would figure that after their sacrifice and bravery, they would have been welcomed back with praise. But that was not the case. The only reason why they were not treated as equals with the other American troops is because of the color of their skin. It is because Arthur Davis, Henry Johnson, and James Reese Europe fought for a country that had not yet accepted them that I argue they were great men. Not only were they great men, but they represent a group of great men, the Harlem Hellfighters. They were great for fighting with extreme bravery and strength in the face of terrifying war. They were great for fighting for a country where they were not viewed as equal. They were great for not falling into a victim mentality even when it could have been very easy to do so. For all these reasons, I argue that the Harlem Hellfighters were great, and they should be remembered with the utmost respect and honor. Thank you for listening to Great Men Back Then, where we talk about men who shaped our nation and what it is today. I hope you have enjoyed today's episode about the Harlem Hellfighters, and I hope it can make you become more appreciative of the men who gave their lives so we can enjoy the liberties that we have today and so often take for granted. Come back next week as we will talk about another great man on Great Men back then on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM with your host, Lauren Scott.